0: Welcome to The Howler, your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Ethan Barry and Madison Bell. Welcome to another week of The Howler, Ethan Barry and Madison Bell alongside you once again. It's a Tuesday night here in uh, Raleigh. Madison, how are you doing this evening?
1: I'm a little under the weather, but I'm making it.
0: That's good to hear. We're going to be joined by um, Inside Pack Sports publisher James Henderson in a little bit. Um, So excited to talk to him. Definitely going to talk to him about some basketball and, um, you know, kind of just like a recap of the season, um, what happened against uh, Seton Hall moving forward, uh, you know, what we can expect. But, um, you know, I think we can agree. It was a. It was a good basketball season. didn't end how you want it to, but, I mean, only one team gets to end how you want to, so.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that this team, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get more into this later, but this team far exceeded everyone's expectations. So, to sit here and say you are upset about, like, mad, you know? Like, everybody's upset, you know, but mad about losing in the first round of the tournament, like, This NC State team wasn't even supposed to be there. Yeah. So.
0: No, I I agree. And um, I think everybody's kind of realized that. Everybody knew that all along, that the team was playing with house money. And, um, you know, Seton Hall's good. They deserve to win, and um, they gave Kansas a lot. Uh, I think they lost. I think they had cut it to three or four late in the second half. So um, that was a good team. Mm -hmm. But before we talk more about basketball – I think we got to uh, we got to spend a little time talking about the women's basketball team. We've talked about them briefly here and there, but I think we should spend a little more time on them now. They um, they won the Raleigh Regional, I guess. I'm not sure what they call it, but uh, they advanced to the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. They beat uh, Elon pretty handily. I can't remember the exact score, and then handled Maryland as well. And uh, mm-hmm. we were at both of those games, mm-hmm. and it was a pretty dominating performance. I thought
1: very impressive
0: right and the maryland game was close well both games were close at halftime this team is really good in the third quarter i don't know what it is about the third quarter but i mean both of the games were within single digits at Mm halftime and then they went into the fourth quarter of both games with the game in hand yeah and um you know i thought that was really impressive um so, yeah, kudos to Wes Moore and, and the job he's done. Um, they're back in the Sweet Six well, not back in the Sweet 16, I guess, but they're in the Sweet 16, which is where they d- belonged last year. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, d- they didn't get there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they also exceeded expectations. I don't know where Absolutely. they were picked preseason. But uh, I remember covering some games in the non-conference, and I don't think Coach Moore had very high expectations – you know what were your thoughts about that?
1: I definitely agree um it's it was one of those things where they lost all of their starters, eighty percent of your starters, so right I mean it wasn't a huge thing. had a couple transfers young team and they and the for one the start, most part
0: right, and the one starter that was back played a different position. Chelsea Nelson mm-hmm. was the center last year. And now she's uh, the power forward. She
1: is doing absolutely insane. Like, it is amazing. She's playing so well. Um, She's transitioned very nicely.
0: She had, what, like a 25-rebound performance against Duke in the ACC tournament or something ridiculous like that. Um, Yeah, she's a really good player. And uh, I've noticed – I've heard some of the commentators during the games anyway talk about, you know, she might have a career in the WNBA. Uh, so uh, that'll be interesting to to follow in the coming months, see what happens there. Mm-hmm. But she's still got unfinished business here. Yep. Uh, this is a team that last year they pulled off a bunch of upsets, um, and they'll have an opportunity for uh, really their first huge upset this year. They beat Florida State, which I don't really know if that was technically an upset. But uh, they'll face Mississippi State, I believe, on Friday. I'm not sure exactly what time. But uh, they'll face Mississippi State. Mississippi State's obviously a good team. They were national. You corrected me on this, right? They were runner-up. They beat UConn in the Final Four in the first game and then lost the championship game. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Didn't South Carolina win last year? Yeah,
0: I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So Mississippi State beat UConn ended that historic winning streak. Um, But obviously this is a new team this year. And, uh, you know, State can hang with them you know um we've noticed that with the women's team they can play with the best teams in the country (laughs) as they've done this year um they almost they really gave louisville all they could handle twice and uh came up just a little short both times but look i think it'll be a good game mississippi state knows that you know i don't think mississippi state will go in uh, overlooking the pack but uh, we'll see what happens. What do you think is gonna? What do you think is one thing that state needs to improve on from last weekend, headed into this weekend, if they want to win a game, or maybe even two, and make it to the final four?
1: Um, I think that a couple of times last weekend, um, there's a lot of forcing the ball inside. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that was a great game plan, and it worked out well for him. But I think that it's going to be key to not necessarily force it. Try not try to limit the turnovers is what I'm trying to say. So Uh I think that trying to force it inside contributed to a lot of the turnovers. So if you can cut back on that, I think you cut back turnovers.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I mentioned to you a couple times during the game. There was a stretch. I think (laughs) it was the Maryland game where State just had way too many turnovers, and. uh, I agree with you. They definitely need to cut that out against a, a Mississippi State team that's really good, obviously. For me, I think they they, they need to hit a couple threes. They need a Ace Koenig to, uh, you know, go four for seven, five for eight, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to need a good performance from her. Um, and they're going to need somebody else to step up and hit some threes. Kiara Leslie is usually good for a three or two a game, but th- I think they're going to need somebody else. Um Armani Hawkins off the bench maybe uh, maybe Chelsea Nelson can step out and hit one um, Kai Crutchfield uh, mm-hmm. the freshman um, hit a couple against Maryland maybe she can keep that going but I think state's gonna need a big game from Koenig and they're gonna need a couple other um, players to step up and hit some outside shots it's a tough challenge but look I'm not gonna I'm not gonna count this team out they've you know, they've gone toe-to-toe with every team they face faced this year. So.
1: I think the bench is going to be crucial, too. Yeah. Whoever's coming off the bench. Like you mentioned, like, Armani and mm-hmm. Kai. Kai Critchfield, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, Erica
1: Cassell, too.
0: Erica Cassell. She, I yes. was just going to mention her. Yep. She
1: made multiple threes. Was it against Elon? Yeah. It it, that like was insane. Th- it she, like, made, like, in three in a row. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so, we'll see. You know, State's, State's a good team. They're a very good defensive team. Um, they're not going to get blown out. And, uh, I think if state state seems the games I've been to, they've struggled to shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. So if they can have a good shooting night, look, you know, it's a four versus a one seed, you know, it's a little bit of a bigger difference than it is in men's where, you know, a four seed can beat a one seed mm-hmm. with ease, uh, in the men's basketball tournament. But I don't think that's necessarily the case in women's basketball, but we'll see. And, um, uh, looking forward to that game. Another non-revenue sport, the baseball team. Um, I'll try not to talk too long about the <laughs> baseball team. But uh, went in and swept Clemson over the weekend. Clemson was a consensus top 10 team. Uh, I think they were like 16-1 and one headed into the weekend. But uh, State pretty much went in, stole their lunch money, and just walked out. <laughs> I mean, State just dominated that series. And... Uh, you know that was great to see um before i get roll on on my uh on my talk about the baseball team do you have anything you want to add or
1: i don't think so no <clears throat> sorry i'm trying not to sneeze right now
0: it's okay <laughs> um but i mean look the baseball team's good they can hit uh you know i think they're first in the ACC in pretty much every offensive category under the sun and um uh, you know, State's, States really got a, one of the best offenses, maybe the best offense that I can remember. Um, it's really balanced one through nine. I remember, you you can probably attest to this too, when State faced Coastal Carolina in the regional. I remember looking at Coastal's lineup on the scoreboard, and it was like 360, their batting average, 360, 330, mm-hmm. 340, 380. Yep. And I was just like, wh- like, when do you get these guys out? Yeah. And, uh, I, g- I, f- I get that same vibe from this state team. Of course, that Coastal team had those averages after 60 games, and this is through 20. But, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a difference. But, a- and NC State's also in a tougher league than Coastal is. So I think, um, you know, that's something, uh, worth mentioning too. But we'll see. State's got a really good lineup. They can, they've got three guys who can leave the yard at any time. Uh, Kinneman, Wilson, and, uh, Evan Edwards. They've got guys who just get hits. Debo, Josh McClain, Um McLean and Brock Deatherage are two of the fastest guys you'll see. Mm-hmm. And um, you know Stephen Pater is on his way back, and uh, he'll step right into the leadoff role. And Saints uh, just got a really good offense. We'll see. Um, we'll see what can happen. Th- that was the most impressive weekend of. Oh, excuse me. That was the most impressive weekend of baseball I've seen from NC State, I think, that I've ever seen. I was thinking about this. I think I wrote for Not the technician that. that it was the most impressive uh, weekend of baseball I'd seen since State beat Rice in advance to the College World mm. Series back in 2013. But then I got to thinking about it, and Rice was a two seed uh, in the regionals that year. So that means they were around the you know, 20 to 30 range uh, in terms of national ranking. And State had to rally in the ninth in both of those games. So they didn't – They I think they scored like six runs in the ninth that y- that year in both games combined. Nice. Yeah, nice. But uh, so it, my point being, State didn't really dominate that series the way they dominated Clemson. I mean, those games – Clemson never had a chance in either of those, in either of the first two games because the pitching was so good, the hitting was so good. The hitting was – well, the hitting wasn't great, I should say, but it was timely hitting. Mm-hmm which is really what baseball's about. about. Uh, it's about timely hitting. Um, so, look, it was a really impressive weekend. Um, we'll see what it means going forward. I did some research because uh, I'm just a nerd like that. And uh, the this was the fifth time that Clemson got swept in the last ten years at home or something ridiculous like that. So it doesn't happen often. And the four teams that did it prior to State went, like, 91 and 28 in the ACC or something ridiculous like that. So uh so states in good company to say the least. And I think two of those teams uh made it to the World Series and um three of them were national seeds or something. So wow. I don't know, we'll see what happens. Um but for me it's going to come down to uh is state going to get enough from the starting pitching. They don't need to be great, you know, Brian Brown if Brian Brown can stay healthy, he's gonna do his thing. Um, but can they get enough from Beeline and Piedmont uh once he gets back and uh you know, we'll see. If be look, if Beeline turns into the Friday night guy that he was on last weekend, then State's gonna he's <laughs> gonna be in really good shape. But uh we'll see they face Georgia Tech this weekend and uh Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech before they head to Louisville, so these are two series that State really needs to win before heading down to louisville uh that's my baseball spiel on the uh on the day they they just gotta keep playing they gotta keep playing with the attitude that they have and uh with the chip on their shoulder they can't lose the chip on their shoulder just because they're ranked in the top 10 now um but anyway that's, uh, that's my feel. I hope you appreciated it. Any, I did. Anything to add? I
1: loved all the stats. It was great. Thanks. Anything I felt like add? I was listening to story time. I okay. really enjoyed that.
0: All right. Uh, anything <coughs> to add? No. All right. Well, now we're going to move on to a, uh, to James Henderson from inside pack sports. Now we're happy to be joined by James Henderson from inside pack sports. James, how are you doing this evening? Good. How y'all doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, I'll tell you what, it was a it was a wild first weekend of the uh, NCAA tournament and um if I told if going into the weekend, if you told me that it was gonna be as wild as it was, I would have loved uh State's chances to come out of the weekend. But uh it just wasn't meant to be. Seton Hall was a little too tough. What were your um just your overall <laughs> thoughts on the Seton Hall game and uh really the weekend in general?
2: Well, in, with State and Seton Hall, I thought it was um, pretty much a game of two halves, personally. Um, you know, in the first half, I thought Seton Hall shot the ball normally well. Um, I think they were right at 50% from three, hit seven threes in the first half. I think they shot 60% from the field um, and were able to build a lead, get up 10 points. And then in the second half, when, when they cooled down, and, and um, I think they shot maybe 35% in the second half. But in the second half, once they cooled down, um, they won the game at the free throw line. You know, uh, NC State really couldn't keep them off the free throw line, um, and there was a noticeable difference in, in free throw attempts and makes. And, and I thought they kind of uh, closed the game out at the free throw line. So for NC State, it was really I thought if they could have put those two put two good halves together, they would probably been able to win that game. But they just weren't able to do it.
0: Yeah, I I remember thinking this during the game. I never actually looked it up, but. Uh... I think both teams were about seventy percent from the free throw line for the year and Seaton Hall ended up shooting about eighty percent and State shot about sixty percent. And I you know, I just thought like, well if these two teams you know, if they both shot their, you know, normal seventy percent it's it's a much different game, but uh you know it didn't happen and uh, you know, Seton Hall uh was too much but Al Freeman had a phenomenal final game. Uh, I can't remember, 36 points, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts on his performance uh, against Seton Hall and really watching him progress throughout the season?
2: I mean, I thought honestly, I thought he was the best player on the floor for our both teams. I mean, I felt like when he shot the ball, he wasn't going to miss. I don't know what his final numbers were. They probably ended up looking – not as efficient as they were at one point just because down the stretch he was really taking a lot of shots. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was a stretch probably the first 30 minutes of that game where it felt like he was making everything. And, um, yeah, I think with that, if he wasn't on like he was on, State would have really been in trouble. And really, you know, I think over the last maybe six weeks of the season, he was probably the, the difference for NC State. I think over his last 10 games, I believe he averaged 21 points per game. Uh, really picked up his play, really started to shoot the ball better. I mean, that was a player I think NC State envisioned getting when they got it from Baylor. And um, luckily for NC State, you know, he kind of got out of that shooting slump he was in the first two months of the season and down the stretch of ACC play. He really turned it on and allowed NC State to win a lot of pivotal games. So I thought he was really, really big, not just in the tournament, but down the stretch.
0: Yeah, I thought, I mean, from the Chapel Hill game on, I want to say, at Chapel Hill – he was probably an all-ACC player. Honestly, he just – I can't I don't know if he got honorable mention or what. But uh, really from that game on, I thought he was an all-ACC type player.
1: I feel like that's when people really started to, like, notice right. Al Freeman was after he dropped how many points against Chapel Hill?
0: A lot. Well, the seven for seven is yeah. what people are going to remember.
1: But I feel like that's when people really started to take notice of who Al Freeman was as a player and, like, hey, maybe this, this guy is somebody to watch.
2: Well, I think, I think in that environment, um, to have a game like that, to win a game that big, I mean, you're open eyes. And um, for him, I think it was a big confidence booster. Um, and, and it's not really surprising that that game kind of – he used that game as kind of a springboard for the rest of the season because, you know, like I said, I think you're right after that game. He may have had one game right afterwards that, was, that wasn't as efficient, but pretty much from that point on, I mean, he was liked out.
1: I feel like another player to talk about would be Omir Yurt7. How do you feel that he did towards the end of the season? I know a couple people were saying he was kind of cooling down, not necessarily being himself. It's
2: funny. I think it's, um, it's almost like when Al was playing great, O'Meara kind of stepped to the side. And I don't know if it was necessarily intentional. I just think maybe with the way that system's structured, it's hard to have two guys have two have big games, if that makes sense. So, you know, I think it was more down the stretch the team kind of shifted to start running more sets and more more plays for, for Freeman, having the ball more in his hands versus Yurtsin. And I think that's why his production sort of dipped. Because if you look at his field goal percentages, his numbers never really dropped. Um, just the number of shots he took and, and basically his usage rate. And I think a lot of that was because of how well uh, Al was playing. Um, and so, for me, I think that's what happened to him down the stretch. I don't think that's a fairly – He played bad. I just think it was more the offense kind of shifted him and was geared more towards Freeman down the stretch.
1: Yeah, and obviously there's been a lot of talk about Amir going to the league. And how how do you feel about that? Do you think he's for sure gone? And how big of an impact do you think that that's going to make on next year's team?
2: Well, it's funny because I actually spoke with his dad this morning and his dad told me that he should be having a decision in the next day or so on what he's going to do. Um, I personally believe he's going to go pro. Uh, I think he's probably a first round pick. Uh, I'd be surprised if he came back, but I think for NC State, it'd be great if he came back. But um, if he doesn't, you know, I think NC State has a plan in place. Um, they went out and signed three front court players in the, in the 2018 recruiting class. Um, they're, they're still going to probably pursue a grad transfer center if he does go pro. So I think they're going to have numbers there. I think what you'll, what you'll see next year if he doesn't return is I think you'll see the center position not really be as much of a focal point just because in this scheme it's really built around the guard. And, um, and, and again, that's kind of what I thought was happening down the stretch. It was more Markel Johnson, Al Freeman, Torin Dorn versus Omer Hurts. And I think next year if he leaves you'll probably see even more of that because not only does Markel Johnson and Torin Dorn return, but you also add in three transfers that were sitting out in a, game, a C.J. Bryce, uh, Devin Daniels, and Blake Harris, three guys who, can, who are going to come in and play right away.
1: Yeah, so how speaking of Devin Daniels, C.J. Bryce, how big of an impact do you think that they are going to make on next year's team?
2: Well, I think they're going to be a huge impact. Um, I know C.J. Bryce, uh, he averaged 17.5 points a game two years ago at unc Wilmington, and um, he was considered the number one transfer. In the, in the country last year, whenever he picked NC State, I think he's an instant impact performer. I mean, he's a guy who spent two years in this system already, so he's very familiar with what Keith and his staff want, But there should be a natural transition. Um, Devin Daniels, he was all Pac-12 uh, rookie team. As a freshman, shot the ball really well, very efficient player, really good defender. From what I had heard um, throughout the season, I heard those two guys were two of the better players on the team. And Kevin Keats even mentioned it in press conferences sporadically that, you know, the scout team was, was beating the starters. And a lot of that's because of those two guys and Blake Harris. So I think, you know, I think if you look at NC State this year, to me, I said all along, they were a really flawed team in the in that they didn't have a lot of lift on the perimeter. And what I mean by that is to run this system effectively, you really need a lot of guys in that 6'5 to 6'8 range that are just really long and athletic, just different type body types to where you can get out of the fin and get ball deflections, different things like that. And with this year's team, the only guy that fit that 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 uh, metric was Torndor. And um, so I thought at times they struggled defensively and offensively just because they're not an overly long or athletic team. Whereas next year, C.J. Bryce is six five, Devin Daniels is six six. You add in Sadiq Bay, he's six seven. Jericho Hellens is six seven. Derek Funderburk six eight. I mean, you added a bunch of guys at that wing position that have a lot more length and athleticism, and I think that's going to make State much more dangerous as a team because of the depth they're going to have on the wing.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that stands out to me is every year under Gottfried, it was almost like a who's even going to be on the team next year? Are we even going to be able to field a team? (laughs) Are we going to have enough players? And now here we are. You know, we've got a full – 13-man roster almost, Uh, you know. It'll be 12 if Amir leaves, maybe somebody else transfers. But it seems like they're likely to fill that spot anyway. But at the same time, I think it's going to be something like eight new players. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen anything like that before?
2: No, I haven't. Well, yeah, actually, I think Pitt did that this past year. And and Lord help (laughs) us, if NC's big turns the Pitt. (laughs) But, yeah, I think Pitt brought in – I want to say they might have brought in 11 guys this past year. Uh, but, but, again, I think the difference is obviously State's returning experience with, with, with Beverly and, and Markell Johnson and, and Torin Dorn and, and obviously the barbats. Guys like that are returning. And then it the helps that you had those three transfers that were able to spend a year and, and get acclimated in NC State. So they're going to have a, a fairly smooth transition. But, yeah, I mean, they also signed a five-man class. And, uh, Kevin, uh, it's obvious he wants to keep 13 men on the roster. You know, that was the other thing with Godfrey that was kind of scary,
0: because yes. it wasn't just
2: that you had one or two deflections a year. He generally wanted to have 10 or 11 guys. And I'm not saying his strategy is wrong. I mean, his 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 thought process on it was if we have 10 scholarship players or 11 scholarship players, they all know they're going to play or have to be counted on. So they're all going to be engaged. They're all going to be focused on playing different things like that. Whereas Keats, I mean, he just wants to keep a full roster and have bodies. And, look, let's be honest here. They're going to still be – there's going to still be – uh turnover, you're gonna still have guys leave the program. That's just the nature of college basketball right now. Um, so that's not that part's not gonna end, but I think what what you're hoping you see from Keats and his staff is you're gonna keep that roster right around that thirteen man limit so you can can manage it a little better.
0: One thing <laughs> that I thought really hurt State down the stretch losing three out of four was I thought the guys were just tired because they really played They played five players for most of the year, and they'd have Lennard would come in for Omir. And if somebody was in foul trouble, somebody else would come in. And then, you know, Sam Hunt obviously didn't miss a shot for two weeks, I think. And uh, so he forced his way into the playing time. But Keats didn't have an issue, you know, keeping everybody happy with their time. Do you think that's going to be an issue next year when he's going to have 13 players? And how would, I mean, how do you think he'll handle it?
2: Well, you know, when NC State was hiring a head coach, I mean, that was one of the advantages that, that he brings to the table. Um, when he came, when when I first met him, he was at Grade Military Academy. I actually went up to interview him because Lorenzo Brown, who had played at NC State, was playing for him. So I went up to interview Lorenzo, and I, and I, and I probably spent, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours talking with him that day. Just a random visit I took up there, and, and Coach Keith just took time out and talked with me. And um, really great, engage- nice, engaging guy. But being up at Hargrave, every year at a prep school like that, you get 15 new players every year. You rarely have a guy stay in a prep school for two years. I actually think Braxton Beverly was one of the few. He went there for his final year of high school, and then he then he went to prep, to prep for any stayed for another year. Generally, guys go there one year after high school. So, Keats has always had to deal with a, a changing roster every single year. So, I don't think... That's going to be an issue for him. I, mean, I think that's actually one of his biggest strengths is being able to mold a roster and put it together. Um, I, and, I, and like I said, I think you probably are onto something with the fatigue. And it goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier. Um, I think they were fatigued because they didn't have the depth at the guard position. Um, you know, it's okay when you have Omer, Leonard, and Malik to play that one center position. You should be fine there.
0: Right. But when
2: you only have, have you only have what was it? Uh, Five players to play the other four spots because essentially, well, actually six players to play the other four spots because essentially they wanted to play Torin Dorn as a fourth guard. So they wanted to play small. And so that leaves the only two guys coming off the bench, uh, Sam Hunt and LeVar Bats, They really didn't want to play Bat a lot down the stretch. Right. So you had Beverly and Johnson playing 36, 37, 38 minutes a night. And, you know, I mean, look, Braxton Beverly overachieved as a true freshman. He probably should not have been playing 30 38 minutes a night as a true freshman no so that's that's likely where it came from is is probably those guards got fatigued more than anything else just because of the system and your hope is adding all that depth that guard next year you maybe can alleviate that a little bit
0: yeah i speaking of Braxton beverly i actually thought they would consider redshirting him but you know that shows what i know so uh anyway final question for you james looking at the big picture What were your expectations of Keats coming in and how did what you see this year, uh, change those expectations, uh, for what he can do in the long run?
2: Um, uh well, you know, I think after they went out and added, um, Al Freeman and Sam Hunt and O'Meara Yurkin in return, I felt like State was going to have a pretty good roster. Um, I didn't think they. I would. I didn't think it was definite they would take the tournament, but I thought they'd have a good roster. And uh, I think he did a great job molding them and, and taking advantage of the pieces he had. Um, but it really didn't change my outlook on him. I felt like, given the way they were recruiting and the fact that they had the two transfers sitting out, I thought he was going to turn this roster over quickly, and you're already seeing that. Right. Because essentially next year you're going to have, what is it? You've got eight guys, new eight newcomers, and then you're going to have Braxton Beverly, who he signed our Batts who he signed, so 10 of the players on the roster next year are going to be Kevin Keats' players. So the roster's already essentially turned over, and I think even next year they're going to be able to compete because they've got a lot of really good, versatile, versatile pieces that fits the way he wants to play, and they're going to be experienced. I mean, having, having guys like, again, Devin Daniels and C.J. Bryce, I think are going to be big additions. I mean, if I'm NC State and I'm starting on the wing, Devin Daniels, C.J. Bryce, and Torrin Dorn, and I can have Markel Johnson at point guard. Then that'll allow me to bring Braxton Beverly off the bench, where he goes from being a starter to being one of the best bench players in the conference. Yep. That's how you become, that's how you become a better team. You know, I, I remember talking to um to uh, one of State's old coaches, uh, Mark Feltz. he coached under Herb Syndek, and uh, he's actually in Arizona now. One of the things he told me he always stayed with me was he said that. You can, you, Everybody wants to look at a team starters. But you really can judge how strong a team is by looking at their bench and the types of players they have on their bench. And do they have ACC-level starting caliber players on their bench? And if they do, you are going to be a really good team. And so I think with State, if you can get in a position where you can have guys like Braxton Beverly, uh, even a torn door and of someone like that coming off the bench, now you become one of those better programs in the conference because you have that quality depth that you're really looking for.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I think Braxton will be coming off the bench next year, and uh, State's gonna have a handful of good players coming off the bench. But uh, yeah,
2: and I don't think that's a bad. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think it's a good thing if he's if he's your first guard off the bench. Yeah. And he's playing twenty twenty five minutes a night. He can be a lot more effective. Um. Yeah. You know. It's this year he got thrust into a role. I mean, people forget Maverick Rowan left early. Terry Henderson, after Kevin Keats, were you know was announced. Terry Henderson didn't get cleared. All these things happened to where he had they he had to play. Yeah. Um, you know. So
0: Yeah, no, I agree. It's you know in the long run it's this year's certainly gonna pay off the experience that they got. All right, James, thanks for joining us here on the Howler. Yeah,
2: y'all take care now, thank you.
0: Wanna thank James uh for coming on. Definitely be sure to uh Check him out. He is the former editor at Pack Pride and uh, started a new website inside Pack Sports. Um, so definitely would recommend uh, that you check out. Check that out. He does great work over there. Absolutely. Um, great stuff. Covering everything, basketball, football, recruiting. Um, he does it all over there. And uh, it's a growing website. He's done a great job with it just in uh, just in less than a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's growing very quickly, so uh, certainly would recommend that you check that out. I think uh, that should just about do it for us this week, And unless you have anything else to add. Uh, I'm just
1: sitting over here going, is it basketball season yet? Yeah, and the tournament's not even over.
0: It was a fun basketball <coughs> season, for sure. And uh, it's going to be a lot more fun uh, the next couple years and, and really moving forward. I... It's fun, um, you know, last couple times State's had a first-year coach. Things have gone really well. So I'm kind of trying to caution myself here. But uh, I think our friend Kevin's going to be a little different. Uh, yeah, than, uh, I think
1: our friend Kevin has already shown that he's a little different. Yeah, us, than Sidney so. Lowe
0: and Mark Gottfried. So, but, hey, you know, Gottfried had a good run. That's a discussion for another day. Yeah. But <laughs> I think uh, Keats can be better than Gottfried. Uh but anyway, that's going to be a wrap for this basketball season. It was a fun season and obviously we'll talk more about uh basketball in the coming weeks. Uh you know, there's probably going to be some roster turnover as James mentioned. Uh we've got Amir Yurtsevin's decision uh coming up could be uh soon actually. And um yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh Spencer Newman has already announced he's transferring. So is Darius Hicks. But uh Newman wasn't a walk on. He just want or he was a walk on. He just wants to go down to another level and play. Completely understand that. Mm -hmm. Darius Hicks uh, also transferring. Uh, He tore his ACL this year, so he played in, like, four games or something. Yeah. And uh, uh, so best of luck to him wherever Mm -hmm. he goes. Um, So we'll keep an eye on the basketball team, obviously. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, NFL draft. State had a pro day uh, last week. We'll probably talk more about the draft uh, now that we don't have basketball to talk about every week. So we'll do that moving forward. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on the baseball team. Um, I'll be keeping two eyes on the baseball team. Yeah, you will. uh, And the women's basketball team, obviously, will be back to talk about them again next week. Anything else to add?
1: I think so. Good season.
0: It was a good season. It was – it always sucks when it ends. But, I mean, I think everybody knew while it was happening in hindsight it was just going to be a great season no matter what happened. And, uh, that's exactly what it is. So we want to thank uh, James for coming on. And uh, like I said, be sure to check him out over at Inside Pack Sports on Twitter at Inside Sport without the S. That'll do it for this week's edition of The Howler. Be sure to check back again next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of Pack TV. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu sports.